Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 28, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we will stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks, Al. Well, it's the new year, so I thought we'd start with a new series, just five or so weeks, on God's purpose for us as the church. I don't know how many of you get into the whole New Year's resolution thing, but I think the new year provides us with a neat opportunity to kind of refocus, kind of reorient a bit. And I think that is true for us as a church. And so uh, what we're going to do for this series is we're going to ask, what is God's purpose for us as the church, as this church? What is God's purpose for us? And we're going to explore that by sinking our teeth into uh, those last words of Jesus in Matthew. They're sometimes called the Great Commission. And they're the last words that Matthew captures, and they're kind of the marching orders, you could say, for these early disciples, for this first as the church is, is launched. They're the marching orders that Christians have now for 2,000 years, seen as 
what we are supposed to do, what we're supposed to be about, our purpose. And so what we want to do in this series is take these words of Jesus at the end of Matthew, this great commission, and kind of break it down. And each week we're going to explore how that impacts us as the Erickson Covenant Church. Like, how does that help us understand what our purpose is? Our purpose as a church. So that's what we're, what we're going to do. I, I, I think what I'd like us to be asking as a community is, what does it mean for us as the Erickson Covenant Church to fulfill God's purpose for us right here in this valley? And, and that's way beyond this hour and a half that we spend together. This has to do with who we are as God's people when we gather and when we're scattered throughout the week. When we're working, when we're at home, when we're serving, when we're, we're out and about and when we're alone. It's about being God's people wherever we're at. And, and how do we f- fulfill that purpose? Uh, sometimes it's easy for us to get kind of muddled about the church. And so it's good to have this conversation, to get a little more clarity. You know, um, I've said it before, you've heard it before. Um, it's even hard to talk about the church properly because I bet you this morning you said to someone, let's go to church, right? It's actually hard language to get around. And I believe me, I've thought all about it. I, I constantly want to refer to this place as the church building, not the church, you understand? Um, and, and, and I ran to someone the other day who, who, who wanted to, 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 to get into the church. And I think, well, it's nothing to do with the doors, right? It's, it's the people. And so we struggle with that because I, I like to put it this way. We don't gather at the church. We gather as the church. You hear the distinction there? We don't gather at the church. This building is not the church. It's just brick and wood and some carpet, and, right? It's the people that are the church. And so we can often be muddled or unclear about what we're saying when we talk about what it means to be the church or go to church or do church. And so I'm hoping that uh, we can explore this together, uh, what it means for us as people who've been adopted, uh, uh, people who have decided to follow Jesus, been adopted into God's family, filled with God's spirit, what it means for us to be the church and to start this new year as the Erickson Covenant Church with a, with a, with a clarity and with a sense of God's purpose for us. Does that, does that make sense? So we'll, we'll walk through this together. So where do we start? We start with that first phrase that Jesus spoke. He said, All authority in heaven and earth have been given, has been given to me. All authority. Every bit of it, without exception. All of it. In heaven and on earth. This all encompasses. That's what the Bible uses to speak about everything. There's nothing excluded from this. All authority has been given to Jesus. And that's exactly where we start. We start with Jesus and the authority that his Father has given him. Because here it is. If we're going to fulfill God's purpose for us as the church, as his church, we're going to have to first deal with Jesus' authority over us as the church. It starts right there. 
Because we can't really go on to the rest of the stuff, even in this great commission, until we've accepted the fact that this Jesus, who's actually saying these words to us, has the authority to do so. And we, as his people, are under that authority. So everything he's saying applies to us, and we're responsible to do what he said. So if, we're, if we miss at the authority level, if we somehow, at the end of the day or end of the week or end of our lives, say, you know what? Did he really mean all authority? I mean, was he really, did he really mean authority over my marriage? Did he really mean authority over, over the, the way I spent my recreational time? Did he, did he really mean that, you know, we're not really going to be the people that God has called us to be. It starts right here. But the moment we say the word authority, we, some of us just get hives, right? We just immediately we get short of breath, right? <sighs> authority. Because we don't like that word. And we don't like the whole idea of someone having authority over us. And why is that? Let's talk about that for a moment. Why do we have a problem with authority? Give it to me. Why do you have a problem with authority? I asked you, man, how I should ask that. I, I, I thought about saying, tell me your problem with authority. <laughs> and, you know, try, try to imagine how we could state this. But anyway, okay. Some of you perhaps struggle a little less with this, but I know there are some of you out there. You're just anti-authoritarian to the core. So tell me, what is the problem that we have with authority? Giving somebody else control. Giving somebody else control. It's often been abused. And by religious leaders and political leaders and tyrants down through the centuries, from the global historical scale right down to the, the home front, right? It's often been abused, yeah. What else? Don't like, do. Don't like being told what to do. Who likes being told what to do? <laughs> what else? Well, you like being told what to do. <laughs> There's a man who has learned. <laughs> Talk to me. Why do you have a problem with authority? Because I'm stubborn. Thank you, Becky, for crossing that line that no one wanted to cross. Yeah, we like to think we're in charge. Exactly, Donna. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. Cameron. That's right. We like to do our own stuff with our own things. It's going to cause pain. Absolutely. I think we can kind of break it down into that whole, uh, either we mistrust it because of experience, either own personal experience, you know, uh, of people abusing power, or, 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 or we just look historically and we say, yeah, look at that. We can't trust authority. Or when we get right down to it, even if the authority was, was good, there's something within us that says, but I just don't want to be told what to do. Like, I just don't want you, I just don't want you having any say over my life. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? And uh, who cares about the consequences? Sometimes we'd say that, and if we think it out, maybe we'd process that a little differently. But really, at the end of the day, I don't want somebody telling me to do what I, you know, I want to do what I want to do with the stuff that I have, and I want to do it when I want to do it, right? That's kind of rooted into who we are as humans, and then we've kind of, uh, you know, put it up on a pedestal and, and, and uh, have a hyper-individualism in our society. But that, that's the struggle we have. 
authority frightens us because both people have, you know, the, the sin that people have carried and the way it's been abused as well as in our own hearts, we, we resist it. So when we come to thinking about Jesus and him having all authority, we immediately have to deal with all this stuff. Like, what does it mean for Jesus to have authority in my life? And what does it mean for me to entrust myself to his authority? One of the things we've been doing is we've been traveling through the Gospel of Mark, which, by the way, we're still in the middle of that series. But I like to break things up so that you don't get bored and I don't get bored. Um, But in in the Gospel of Mark, as we've watched Jesus, particularly in the first half of Mark, show people what it means for him to be the king, what it means for him to exercise authority. What did we see him doing with his authority? Throw it out there. What did he do with his authority? Healing. Healing. Serving. What else? Casting out demons. demons. Bringing freedom to people. That's right. What else? Raising the dead. dead. Yeah. What else? That's right. Pushing back against people who have abused authority. Religious, particularly religious oppression that was rampant. Jesus pushed back hard against that. What else? Loving people. And including, particularly including people who have been excluded socially or because of religious things, whatever, but people who've been excluded, he uses authority to, to bring them in. What else did he do? He, yeah. Treated them as whole people, right? And he met their needs. And we, wa- we watched a, a number of times in the stories in Mark how Jesus met the one need, but there was, there was a much, he was meeting a lot of, of, of their need, uh, Think of the, the bleeding woman, and by drawing her out, he was not only was she healed physically, but he was restoring her socially, right? And restoring her actually to worship. But uh, I digress. But there's, there's the whole person. He forgave sins. Remember that was a big confrontation he had in Mark. He had, who are you? I mean, no one can forgive sins but God alone. Ding, 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 ding. Um, you've got the authority to forgive sins. So this is the Jesus that has all authority. He uses his authority to bring God's good into people's life every time. Now, humans have abused authority, but this Jesus doesn't. And so when we think of this phrase, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, in order for us to engage that, to come under his authority, to let Jesus have authority over my life, we have to first know that this Jesus, like we see in the Gospels, as we watch him and as we follow him, we begin to trust that this Jesus is always good and uses his authority to bring goodness and freedom and health into our life. Not that it's always easy or that his authority, you know, when he speaks to me is always, you know, all warm fuzzies, you understand, because there's things in my life that are destructive and there's things in your life that need to go in order to experience the grace and the freedom he has for you. But he's always good. And so in order for us to grapple first, we have to recognize that, yes, authority has been abused, and yes, I resist authority uh, at the very heart of who I am, but I come to Jesus, and as I watch who he is, as I grow in my trust that he is truly good, and that he will use his authority for the good of people and for the good of his creation, then I can do what the Gospels call me to do. I can repent. In other words, I can turn away from my own agenda, my own pride, my own sin, my own commitment to, have, to be the authority over my life, and I can entrust myself to the authority of Jesus.
That's where it all starts. We turn around, we see what authority looks like as Jesus lives it out, and then we follow. Now this phrase, just to give you a little bit of background, this phrase that Jesus opens up with, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, there's a lot sitting behind it, scripturally. And I just want to tease out a little bit. The big one is from a prophetic slash wisdom book. Depending on who you're talking to, it gets classified differently. But it's most often we think of it as a prophetic book, but typically it's seen as a wisdom book, the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel... Daniel has this vision, and this is what he sees. In this vision, he sees uh, beasts who are representing these destructive, abusive, uh, authoritarian empires that have been uh, wreaking havoc on God's people. And he sees these beasts dealt with and, 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 and you know, put to the side. And then he sees a prophetic vision of Jesus. He sees a prophetic vision um, that is... Uh, very, very foundational to how the New Testament sees who Jesus is and how Jesus actually sees himself. He refers to himself often as the Son of Man. comes right out of this passage. So let me read it for you. In, in Daniel 7, it says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. There's that phrase which Jesus took and the Gospel writers took, big, big deal, Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, it's his father, and was led into his presence. And then here it is. Think about the words that Jesus just spoke in Matthew. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Do you hear the connection there? What, what the prophet Daniel sees has now been fulfilled. This resurrected Jesus is the Son of Man, and he suffered at the hands, I would argue, of the, the twin beasts of Rome and, and Jerusalem, and now Jesus has been raised to life, the beasts have been silenced, and he's now receiving from his Father, the Ancient of Days, total authority in an everlasting kingdom, a dominion that will last, will not pass away. All authority has been given to him, and it's rooted in Daniel 7 as well as other passages. Jesus is now the exalted king over all. Another place we read it is in Philippians chapter 2, which is, a, is perhaps a little bit more well-known. Um, the Apostle Paul says, it's a longer passage, but I'm, I'm going to just cut to the chase. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Hear that? And under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Jesus that we worship and we follow. This humble Jesus who came as a child, who lived the perfect life, who suffered at the hands of the beasts, and died, rose again, and was given all authority, like is pictured in Daniel 7. And it's this Jesus, the one who heals, who includes, who cares, who takes his power and applies it to people's lives so that they can actually experience all that God has for them. He is the one who's received all authority on heaven and on earth. And when we realize that that's who we're talking about, when we realize that this Jesus can be trusted... It's a game changer. 
Because though there's things in our lives that we want to control, and there's things in our lives we'd rather not have someone else tell us what to do, what we realize is that this Jesus, we can truly trust him with our whole lives. That there's no area in our lives that we can't entrust to him and know that he will give us direction and insight, that he will pour his grace and his Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can be who God has called us to be as his people. It's rooted in trusting that Jesus, who has all authority of us over us, is going to lead us into his uh, good will for us. So I want to ask you an important question. What area in your life has resisted the authority of Jesus? What area of your life has resisted the authority of Jesus? This is a big deal question, okay? For some of you, it's an integrity thing. You steal from people and you lie and you put a great face on it But at the heart of hearts, you're a dishonest person and you've never let Jesus have authority over the way you conduct your business and your personal affairs. Some of us, it's a sexual thing. That we've somehow thought that we could just get away with ignoring the way that Jesus wants to speak into our very core identity as sexual beings. And we've ignored or resisted his authority, his good authority over something that he loves and something he's created right at the core of who we are. We've resisted his authority to speak into our sexuality or the way we practice our sexuality. For some of us, it's in the way that we've related to others, maybe cynically, or maybe an attitude of disdain that's looked down on people because of of, of their weight or their looks or, or their education or lack thereof or the jobs they do. And we've carried in us this attitude of pride and looking down. Or maybe for some of us, it's been the way we've seen ourselves. That we've bought into the lies that we aren't worth very much because of the way we look or our lack of education or our broken family or whatever. Things that have happened in our lives. What area in your life Have you been resisting the authority, the good authority of Jesus? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you've just let things go on for so long and that at the end of the day, you can't imagine your marriage getting better. And so as a result, you've just kind of ignored or thought, Jesus must not have much authority over my marriage. And so I don't really know what to do. Or maybe you've just outright resisted making the changes that you know you need to make, the way that you need to sacrifice, the way that you need to lay it down, or the way that you need to actually stand up and be honest with your partner and say, this can't go on anymore. I want to pursue Jesus and this has to change. Those are just a few of the areas, but what is it in your life? What area have you been resisting? Or maybe it's not outright resistance, but it's just an area you've just never thought Jesus had much to do with. Like your recreation, what you do in your spare time. Or, or maybe what you do with your money. How you spend it. And I don't just mean giving. I think that's part of it. But I mean stewardship of your finances. Like how you actually... Spend your money and, and, and save and live and what, 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 what you do with it. Maybe you just thought Jesus didn't have much to say about that. 
Or perhaps using the gifts that God has given you to build up and grow this church. Maybe that's an area you've either been resisting or you've just been kind of ignoring the fact that, you know, if you're part of this church, you've got to serve. You've got to find a place to put your shoulder to the you know, wheel and make things move so that we can be the kind of community that God is longing us to be in this valley. So, so what is it? What area in your life are you resisting the authority of Jesus? It's a big question, I realize. But I would argue it's absolutely crucial. Like, if, you, if there's a distinct area in your life that you've just been resisting, that you've not been willing to let Jesus speak into it, not be willing to say, Jesus, I want you to have authority over this in my life, it's going to act like a barrier to all the good things that God wants to do in your life and in our church. So you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with it. Identify it, deal with it. Confess it to a friend. Ask God to give you the power to overcome it. Get accountable. Do whatever you need to do. But come under the authority of Jesus in that particular area. And I believe you'll begin to see change and you'll begin to see fruit and we will experience uh, what God wants us to experience as we grow and as we receive healing and as we are empowered to be his witnesses here in this valley. You know, I've, I've quoted this Dutch guy before, Abraham Kuyper, uh, but I think his quote's brilliant. He, he said, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. And Jesus looks at you, he says, You're mine. Not in an evil, possessive, coercive way, but in a precious way, in a caring way. Because the thing about the authority of Jesus, we've seen this in the Gospels, is his authority can be resisted. Jesus doesn't force us. He longs for us to submit to his authority so that we can receive from him all the goodness he has for us. But he doesn't, you know, rape and pillage, you understand. He doesn't force his will on us. He invites us to come under his authority and experience all that God has for us. Everything that follows in this passage that we're going to explore now for the next month flows out of this question. Are we, are you submitted to the good authority of Jesus? Because hear this, here it is. We will never fulfill our purpose as God's church unless we are willingly submitted to the authority of Jesus. We will not fulfill it. This applies to us as families and as persons. This applies to our, our, you know, our friendship groups. It applies to us at, at a real personal level. And it applies to us as the church. That we will not experience God's purpose for us. We will not experience his goodness. We will not flourish under his hand until we've submitted to him. And we've said, I am yours. You're the king. I'm going to follow you. The most basic Christian confession, right from the earliest moments that, that, that Christians were, were making known the good news about Jesus and people were confessing him and following him, the, the most basic Christian confession there is, is three words in English. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it's saying that this all authority, this son of man, this gracious king, this resurrected Messiah, he is the king, not Caesar. No, nobody else. 
has the right to rule over my life the way that Jesus does. He is Lord. And you understand it was in direct opposition to Caesar being Lord and other authorities being Lord, where they said, Jesus is Lord. This is our most basic Christian confession. But it's not something we just say with our mouths. It's something we say with our lives. It's something we say with our priorities. It's something that we demonstrate in the way that we speak, in the way that we're willing to be honest about our heart attitudes, the, will, the way we're willing to, to dig in and actually get to the core of what's going wrong in my heart, in my life, in my, in my friendships. Why is it that I seem to sabotage the people that are closest to me? And the very thing that I need, I, I kind of go and, and cut it down the first moment I get. Why is this going on? Or, or why am I just sitting lifeless? Maybe I come, you know, come to church week after week, but at the end of the day, I don't serve. I frankly might not even give. I don't really get in on it. And I'm resisting the authority of Jesus there. What is it that's stopping you from coming under his authority, from truly confessing with your mouth and with your life that Jesus is Lord? Well, I'm going to end it there because we're going to spend a whole other month exploring what Jesus says after this. It all flows out from this. But I want you to hear me clearly. I believe that in 2015... 361 days left, folks. In 2015, God wants to do amazing stuff through the Erickson Covenant Church. That, you know, at the start of 2014, there were people who are here today who were not here. At the start of 2014, there were people who are here in our community now who confess that Jesus is Lord, who've understood the hope there is in Jesus, who are following him, who were not at the start of 2014. That is cause of great celebration. I believe that by the end of 2015, there are families, there are men and women, boys and girls that you know, some of them you have yet to meet, who standing today don't know Jesus, don't know hope, don't know what it would mean for God to actually come into your life and transform. They don't know it yet, but by the end of 2015, they will. Do you believe that? And God wants to do that through us. And it starts right here. Are we going to let him? Are you going to let him get in and dig around in your life? Are you going to come under his authority? Are we as a church going to say, Jesus, we are under your authority. So when you tell us to go make disciples, we're going to do it. And we're going to see by the end of 2015, many people who have come to know Christ, we're going to see many people who are being discipled in Christ. We're going to see people being baptized. This is from the Great Commission, you understand. We're going to see people being taught to follow Jesus' ways. And we're going to experience the presence of God Jesus himself who said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's going to lead us there. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you are the one who has all authority, heaven and earth. And that that isn't an authority that you grasped through violent revolution, but rather an authority that was given to you by your Father as you willingly laid down your life, as you gave it all up, died in our place, 
achieving the greatest victory of all history, defeating death and restoring to us life and freedom and goodness. Jesus, we give you all authority. You have it, but we come under it as a church. And I pray today for those of us who are wrestling with that. Maybe we're not sure we believe in you. Maybe we're not sure what we think about all this. Maybe we're wrestling with our place in, 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 in your church or, or under you. And maybe we're just skeptical. I'm not sure. But wherever we're at today, Jesus, I pray that you meet us where we're at, that we see you, and that we hear your invitation to follow. You are great king, our good king. In your name we pray. Amen.